Hello and welcome to the Upon Further Review podcast brought to you by Field Street Baptist Church. On this podcast, your host Cody Kitchen sits across the table from Dr. John Hall as he reviews his Sunday sermon from the week before. Welcome to everyone's favorite podcast, Upon Further Review. We're here for another episode and I'm excited for this episode. It's going to be a good one. And with you as always is myself, Cody Kitchen, and Joined with me is Dr. John Hall. Yeah, good afternoon. <laughs> we are once again talking about John's sermon from this past Sunday titled The Finish Line in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. It was a um, great message in one of his final chapters, Paul's final chapters. And then this Sunday we're going through his uh, last uh, it. farewell. The last yeah. text. I'm excited about this one. Yes, the last... Uh, ultimate final words of Paul. Mm, that'd be good. Mm-hmm. As always, what are what are what were some of your first thoughts as you prepared this message? The greatness of that text. And if you haven't listened to the message, I I wouldn't say you got to go listen to the message. You got to listen to the text. Mm. And if you don't want to listen to the message or listen to the text, then just go read the text. 2 Timothy 4 6 through 8. It's amazing. Yeah. Paul talks about being poured out as a drink offering. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. It's great. Yeah. It's pure greatness. For sure. So that's what went through my mind. I was like, uh, when I wrote the sermon, I thought, man, these are, these are amazing verses. When I actually preached the sermon, I was like, I hope I can preach this. <laughs> yeah. And I hope I can live it. For sure. More importantly. But that, a few thoughts. That's good. I, I mean, I, when you first read it in staff meeting a couple, I guess a week ago, I was, in my head I was like, man, you really could preach a sermon on each verse by itself. I mean, uh, verse seven, yeah, certainly. And verse six because of the imagery there, the drink offering, yeah. and then verse eight we talk about uh, the crown of righteousness given to him by the Lord, the righteous judge. Wow, man, there's so much in those mm-hmm. verses in the verbs. You know, I just, I, I, it was hit and run on the verbs Sunday oh, morning. Yeah. And the only really important thing to point out with the verbs was, you know, it's uh, complete action with continued results. And I thought, man, that's our lives. Mm. If we're pouring them out as a drink offering before God, what we offer Him lives far beyond our actual date of death on this earth. Right. Powerful. That's only good. God could do that. I'm always amazed how you, how especially verses like this, how you can articulately do such a good job of explaining it when you could say so much more on on certain things, but it, you still say the same thing in mm-hmm. little word, not little words, but in doing it in a 20, 25 minute window. Right. And so uh, it's, there's just so much there, and I really enjoyed Sunday. And yeah. It was a challenge for this whole book, or the whole Second Timothy as a whole as its main theme, as you've said before, is to pastors, which you've done a really good job of relating it to everyone mm-hmm. within the church, but especially these verses really are for everybody, and they apply uh, in a way that There's is, no question. And Paul makes that clear in verse 8 where he says, and not only unto me, but to all who have longed for the Lord's appearing. Mm-hmm. That was like drawing the net yeah. for all believers. Like, yes, Timothy, much of this letter is for you, but to the broader believing community if you've longed for the Lord's appearing 
there waits for you a crown of righteousness. And just for Paul, it's for all who've been faithful. Yeah, man. That didn't make you want to get up and dance. I don't know what would. It, I don't know. And you challenged even in the, your introduction, the start or the end of your introduction, talking about that you you're giving us three ideas uh, to put into our hearts and minds for all of us to think about our finish lines. And it really challenged me to think about that. Even at, I guess, what you consider a young age, you don't you don't think much about it. But your first idea is that we all have one, mm-hmm. and the truth that all of us have a finish line. And that there is no one on earth that is going to get away from death. So we all have a finish line. And that um, even the, you were talking about the metaphor um, and the day that you were conceived, you began your race. And you are now somewhere, you're talking about anyone in the room between the start and finish line. And um, you even talked about what it means to be being poured out as a drink offering and the imagery of the Old Testament sacrificial system and that this was the final offering that followed the burnt and grain offerings prescribed for the people of Israel. And uh, I love that you pulled out that imagery was that this was Paul viewing his death as this final offering, that he had offered it up to God, Um, which is for me, it's humbling to even think about that. We say that we do that or that we should do that, but to actually do that, mm-hmm. to say that, and look at Paul's, you said this on Sunday, to look at Paul's life and see how great he was and he lived his life for the Lord um, was really challenging. And so my question is, what about Paul's life can we as the readers reflect on and learn from? Where would you start? <laughs> yeah. um, before I answer that question, I want yeah. to back up. Sure. Um, so you made the statement about your start line begins at conception. And I think I made a very subtle but unapologetic and powerful statement about the Bible's theology of when life begins. Mm. Move on. That's good. Yeah, I I did it on purpose. I said it right, right? Yeah. Okay, you are just emphasizing. Yeah, Yeah. I did it. Uh, I did that on purpose. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's great. And fashioned that, that one sentence that your start line begins at conception and it ends the day of your death. Yeah. So I did that on purpose. That's good. Yeah. There's subtle ways you can boop, <laughs> pop in some good Bible theology. Oh. Now, so looking at Paul's life, I don't know where you would I think you can you can jump into the stream of Paul's life anywhere in that stream mm. and find something from his life that you can admire and desire to emulate. Now, for a preacher, a pastor, a minister, specifically, <laughs> so much in the pastoral epistles, for the broader believing community, there's just, it's everywhere. I mean, what letter would you want to, to look at? But Paul's emphasis on uh, Christ crucified, his emphasis on the glory of the resurrection, his emphasis on Christ as deity, uh, his Willingness to battle false teaching and false teachers, his great passion for the purity of the church's doctrine. And I think Paul would argue, you know, as your doctrine goes, so everything else goes about your church ultimately because what you believe dictates and informs how you behave, how you conduct yourself in this world. And Pauline theology is rich. You say, well, wait a second, where's his theology? (laughs) 
Where isn't it? Mm. But if you're looking for a concise statement of Pauline theology, then dive into the book of Romans. Yeah. It, really study that book it'll change your life so I think anywhere you cut Paul there's something from which you can benefit yeah and we gain insight into how we should run our own races by looking at the focus of Paul's life (coughs) so there's your answer yeah (coughs) that's good Uh, sorry (laughs) yeah and you uh hinted at this and, and said this is on Sunday too, but man, I, I what I when I look at any anything written by Paul, especially in the Book of Timothy, I, you just and anywhere that is written, he he lifts Christ up as Christ should be, and that's something I've always admired in Paul's writings is that you know that his life was reflected upon how he viewed God and how he viewed. Uh, Christ, and so I, I think for me, it's always that example, especially as a minister, is, is living in the way Paul did as a human. He was sinful, just like we are, um, but he everything he did and was challenged, challenging others to do was to to glorify Christ. Yes, and it's such a good example for us all. Yes, um, and you alluded to that, and, and we're talking about that, but it's just a great reminder for us all. And you transitioned into your second ideas in which was it matters how and that you get there, talking about the finish line. And I'm just going to read verse 7 just because it's so good. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And you talked about these three key verbs in this one verse, which was fought, finished, and kept. And that you were talking about how important it is to know each of these verbs in that it indicates a completed action with continuing results. Mm-hmm. And it was, I don't know if I've ever really seen it like that. And so it was really, for me, eye-opening and seeing, oh, yeah, it's, we know that obviously our our, fa- our Christian walk is continuing. But to see it in action like this and to see it action in Paul's life, kind of on the pages of Scripture. And um, you, you talk about using these three analogies in in, in which the race that he was run, running. And you were talking about how for Paul, it mattered how he got to the finish line and how in particular, Paul, how he got to his finish line. It mattered to him. It mattered in the way that he lived in the way that he honored Christ. And um, my question with that is for you, what are some things that have helped you to keep the faith, faith and fight for the finish line and make sure that you aren't even disqualified as we talked about right Sunday uh, <clears throat> my first answer to that question is a profound sense of calling mm. I would not do this if I were not called of God to do this I think there are other ways certainly easier ways mm. to make a living but there's nothing else I really want to do this is what I want to do. This is what I've been fashioned to do, called to do. So for me, it is absolutely the calling because I've had some very low moments in ministry over the course of almost 30 years now as a full-time pastor. It's hard for me to believe that, but I graduated from the seminary in 94. So next year in 2024 will be the 30th year of my being a full-time pastor. Wow. And this is my fourth church to pastor. So I started out at First Baptist Kittaquay 
Then we were called to First Baptist Church Monday, Texas. And then we went to First Baptist Church Broomfield, Colorado, outside of Denver. And then we've been here for the last 20 years. And it's the calling because mm-hmm. um, in all these churches, you know, you just you get roughed up, you get discouraged. You get discouraged when the church down the street seems to be growing like gangbusters. And you're busting your tail working, mm-hmm. maybe never working harder. Certainly longer hours than I ever worked before. Not to say I didn't work long hours, but with my children being gone, I have more of a luxury now that I can be up here earlier and stay up here later. Um, and you, you know, you're not seeing the desired results that you want. And you can't manufacture that, and, or at least I don't think I can. Um, that's in the Lord's hands. So just l- learning and choosing regularly to trust him that my life is in his hands and I'm a tool in his hands and he's using me as he sees fit and the results are up to him but it's the, for me it is there's no question about what keeps me at it mm. the call um, it's not because of anything else I mean there are other things about it that are nice and there are other things about it that are hard like nobody else has to put up with this in their job <laughs> Uh, what other job is there where you can waltz into another person's place of employment and tell them how to do their job? <laughs> not many. I'm not aware of any. Yeah. And how many people would resent me showing up at their office saying, I don't think you're doing that right. So it's just, yeah, we sign up for it. We get it. Sure. And you take all that with because God called you to do it. Hmm. And I can't not do this. I mean, I feel like Jeremiah, it's in my bones, man. If I don't do this, I think I just would spontaneously combust. So for me, it's the calling. I think, too, the God's been so gracious to me through the years to put people around me that have, that have encouraged me and have uh, stood by me. It's only a, it's barely a handful of individuals, hmm. but they've been critical and strategic in my life arc and ministry arc and God's put them there I think to keep us at it I'm sure you've had some of those already I mean you're awfully young to you know, face your valley just yet but um, I think in my life even in high school and certainly in college the men God put in my life and women actually um, you know, like Moms, kind of thing, sure. um, that he used so strategically to, you know, buoy me along. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed that if he calls you, he also sustains you too, mm-hmm. to your calling, and fits you for it, and outfits you, but then shapes you. So you brace yourself. I tell these young guys at seminary, you ain't all that just yet. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're going to have to go through the fire. It's different for all of us. I don't know what one one man's fire is not another. So the call. That's good. Because it, it hadn't been my seminary education. As grateful as I am for it, and I felt very privileged that I could go to seminary, uh, that's not what's helped me to persevere. Yeah. Not even close. So I'm grateful. I think men should train, to, you know, women too, um, should train for ministry if they feel some sense of calling. 
uh, boy, that just probably could open up a can of worms with all that. But um, I think men who commit to being preachers should sure go to seminary. Mm. And my rationale behind that is simply what my pastor told me growing up is that that the people in the pew are just deserving of a well-trained, well-schooled preacher as they would want their surgeon to be well-trained. So, you know, it's the call. Um, so I only mention that about the seminary simply to say it's, it, it, that's not what has sustained me. Yeah. Nobody's going to put that in a brochure from my lips. Oh, yeah, I made it in ministry because of my seminary training. Bah, humbug. <laughs> it's the calling. That's good. And I think more so people that God puts around you at strategic times to kind of help you get through whatever season you find yourself in. Mm. At First Baptist Kittaquay, you know, I was the Lone Ranger. There's no other staff member. Mm. It's just me. I mean, I ran the <laughs> – printed the bulletin, the <laughs> newsletter, chased cats out of the church. <laughs> I didn't have an assistant, no secretary. I did it all. I answered the own phone. Wow. But it's at Kittaquay where I learned to study. Mm. Uh, my study habits really started to gel. Um, how to go in and be in the office when nobody expected me to. And, you know, farmers, they're up early. And they don't go home till late. And they like driving by their church, seeing if their pastor's there. <laughs> and once they saw I was going to be there, they chilled out on that. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, won their respect quick. I don't know stuff. It's the call. That's good. It's really good. Yeah. Good reminder. Yeah. Your third idea was this: the the participants' prize in verse eight, and talking about the crown of righteousness, in which Paul talks about. And you <laughs> made the point that races have finishes. And victors receive the crown of righteousness. And you, you answered the question of what is the crown of righteousness. And um, you talked about in the time of Paul, the Roman games, the wreath that they were given with the victors. And that according to scripture that there were these five crown, crowns of um, heavenly crowns in which you would receive. And you talked about how oddly enough in scripture there's not much talked about the crown of righteousness um, and your main point in that is that one day each of us will stand before the righteous judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's inevitable for all of us is what you said. And um, in that, not only will we be judged, but we will also receive our due rewards. And, um, and you even said this quote, you know, oh, glorious thought. And, and I think that's such a good reminder for all of us that <laughs> when we feel like, the things that we do go unnoticed that our, our Lord sees it all, the good and the bad. And we're, we're going to be held accountable for those and also rewarded for, for those. And so it's comforting. But my question is for you is in what season of your life did you really start to think about your finish line? Right. Um, I think I really began to consider my finish line more seriously probably when I turned 50 Um, and I've said more than once publicly that I realize that more of my life is behind me than is in front of me now Mm. and you really start thinking about how you want to end 
you know, I'm 10 years, 10, 11 years away from technical retirement age, full retirement age. Um, I don't have any intent to retire. I may switch gears and switch the focus of my energies, but man, I want to labor for the Lord till I just, you know, poop out, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I think for me it was then, because there's other seasons prior to that, you're so consumed, but you're just trying to keep your head above water. Raise your kids, figure out how to be good at your job, get your education, pay bills, you know, dodge, dodge this health bullet, that health crisis, you know, I mean, it's just with your children, whatever. And then you're going to all their activities. Man, we, we were exhausted quite a bit for a while as a family because girls were in a lot of stuff and we enjoyed it and but man it's it's exhausting you're gonna get there poor guy um and then you get through all that but i think you're gonna you and others who are listening either have or will come to a place where you recognize it really matters to me that a i get to my finish line and i get there without being disqualified Mm. That's one of my one of my more frequent prayers to the Lord. Please protect me from doing anything so colossally stupid that it would disqualify me, that it would bring shame to to Jesus, to the cause of Christ, and any and everyone who's ever listened to a single sermon I've ever heard would not be you know, yeah, I knew that was gonna happen kinda. Just oh God, please just protect me from myself and from evil and all these things that can come against us. Yeah. Um, one other thing I want to back up, just thought about it was, and uh, that's in the sermon Sunday. I talked about how you may feel as if no one notices what you are doing for the Lord, mm. but I love that verse in verse eight because it's Paul says, "I will receive a crown of righteousness from the Lord, mm. the righteous Judge." And so will all who have longed for his appearing. So the beauty of it is, yeah, I may not know what someone else is doing. I may not know in context, you know, about a pastor who's laboring in a farming community where 500 people live and 12 people come to his church. I don't see his toil for the Lord. It doesn't matter. The Lord Jesus does. And that matters. I, I can remember it almost to the day and the moment and the circumstance that I finally came to peace with the fact that I may very well live out the bulk of my ministry in utter obscurity. It wasn't even here. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in Broomfield. I was in my office one day just thinking about it. and Like, I guess the Lord labored... It took a while, too, so I want to be very forthright about it. But I, I remember when the peace finally settled in my heart that I was going to be okay uh, with toiling in obscurity. No one knew about me. Because I think there's something in all of us as pastors. You know, we want to be known. We want to be, you know, we want to have a broad platform. And we want to, you know, we want, yeah, I'd like to walk across the street to hear what that guy has to say. And, and, the vast majority of us never have that kind of ministry, uh, at least in the from the world's perspective. But from the Lord's perspective, the righteous judge, for those of us who long for his appearing, 
we're laboring under the watchful, wonderful eye of Jesus Christ. And so at some point, we all have to arrive. That has to be enough, and that's everything, is that, okay, the Lord knows. The church doesn't know I did that. Should yeah. I tell them? And part of me is like, nah. <laughs> all that matters is the Lord knows. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you, you'll tell your people something because it's illustrative, and I always opt to tell, when I do say something about myself, it's usually in a deprecating way. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm always the butt of my own stories. And, you know, like Sunday, I fell over a hurdle. I mean, right. I didn't win anything except maybe the respect of a few of my idiot friends who I never spoke to again kind of thing. So I'm just saying that the Lord's economy and the way he looks at ministry, whether you're a vocational minister or you're a layman and you, you set up chairs every Sunday, you go get donuts, you turn the lights on, and nobody even knows. People just show up at the building and they think, well, it's just warm on its own. You know, Somebody had to turn the heater on. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to turn the lights on. That donut you're wolfing down, the fourth donut you're cramming down your pie hole, <laughs> somebody went and picked those up yeah. and made sure it got paid for. And so there's lots of people who do things under the radar and they never get mm-hmm. an applause. But, man, Jesus one day is going to hand you your reward. Like, what could be sweeter than that? It's good. Well, it's great. It's, it's gold. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. And, it, and Paul uses the language elsewhere. You know, we, we're going to get a wreath. In the games, they get a wreath that's perishable. But we get a prize that's mm. imperishable. Remember the first time I won anything as an adult, you know, I was married still doing athletic stuff. <laughs> I won some racquetball tournament, and I, I came home, and I put the medal that I won. It was a gold medal, like the first one I ever got. I put it in my toolbox out the garage. <laughs> when I was out, you know, I'm out there, I'm like, oh, there's that. Why did, why did I put it out there? Mm. You know, it's just, I don't know. Huh. You You get to a place where it's like, those things aren't quite as important to me as they used to be. Yeah. And other things of eternal value start to be more important. So, yeah. I don't know. It's just, when does that happen? I, th- I guess it's different for each individual. Mm-hmm. It, I don't know when it'll happen for you or whoever. Yeah. I can tell you when it kind of happened for me, but I can only speak for myself on that issue. But yeah. It's great. And it also speaks to the you know the the reality of how how great I can't there's no words for to describe it really but great and awesome that it's going to be to be in eternity with our heavenly father cuz we often say we as the church as a whole I'm not saying like us but often say things like oh I'm sure they're looking down on us or I'm sure they're doing this in heaven and it's verses like this that bring us back to that place of no they're not mm-hmm. you know Paul is saying like I could I get the crown of righteousness. The one, the, the only reason why I get it is because of what Christ has done, and I am in his presence. And I just think, for me, it's a good reminder for all of us mm-hmm. that there's something sweet that we're going to receive because of Christ and what he's done for us. Yeah. And for all the work that we have done down here because of Christ yeah. and because of what God's done in our life, that none of that's, all of that's going to be in heaven with our heavenly father and it's just a sweet picture it is and then just that emphasis on the finish line you know i've I've 
fought the good fight. I finished the race. So quick story. Uh, my first marathon, I ran in San Antonio. And you get across the finish line. Rock and roll. Yeah, rock and roll marathon. Ran, got across the finish line. They, you know, compel you to go down this finisher chute. Mm. And you, you get take a picture. They hand you a bowl of Spanish rice, a can of Pepsi, and a shirt mm. that said finisher. I think I've worn that shirt three or four times. It hangs in my closet. I'm actually, it's it's pretty sacred to me sure. because it has a different meaning for me than just I finished a marathon. I just like what it, for me, it's like finisher. Mm. I want to be a finisher. I want to finish. I want to get to my finish line. Wow. And knowing I, I gave it everything I had and I didn't keep anything I put it all, I, you know, to use an athletic metaphor, I left it all on the field. I, I gave it, and I think it's Paul when he said, man, I, my life is a drink offering. I, put, I poured it all out for God. Mm. And now I'm standing before the, I'm about to stand before the Lord Jesus himself, the righteous judge, and he's going to give me a crown of righteousness. And I didn't get that. I didn't earn that. That that's his righteousness yeah. that the Father gave me through the Son. It's just mm, it's beautiful. Yeah, man, it's poetic. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, as we as we close, what are some final thoughts? Uh, don't miss Sunday because we wrap it all up. Oh, it's gonna be good. Yeah, friends, foe, and final farewell. Mm. I, I was I've been so pleasantly surprised, though I shouldn't be at the response of the church to this sermon series mm. from Second Timothy. Yeah. I really thought there'd be a colossal collective tuning out. Mm. The moment you say, well, he wrote it to pastors, like, oh, forget it, I'm not a pastor. But that has not been the case. And I've been just encouraged by the people that have come with me after the services. This series has been so good. I love that. It's just the power of God's Word and the relevance of Scripture. And it really is living and active and has great application for our lives, whether we're pastors or not. It's irrelevant. Amen. Yeah, so be here Sunday. Don't miss it. Sounds great. Yeah. Besides, we need y'all here. Yeah. It's Lottie Moon Christmas offering and gathering. we got a really big goal. Yeah. But a lot at stake in the world, so, you know, the Lord's enabled you to give, please give generously. Amen. It's going to be a good, great, great day in, in the Lord's house for sure. Yes. Well, to everyone's favorite segment, or that stupid segment, where we tell you what's stupid. So, John, what is stupid today? We were talking about the uh, rant of Sir Patrick Mahomes. That was so stupid, colossally stupid. Uh, arguing, yelling, screaming acting like a spoiled child on the sideline. Turns out the refs made the correct call. Shocker. And yeah, they don't always, <laughs> and even they will say that. Yes. But in this case, they made the correct call because the wide receiver uh, was offsides, clearly offsides. And Mahomes claims that his outrage was based on the fact it shouldn't come down to the refs the play should be made by the players on the field, and that's how the game ends. And 
Travis Kelsey was robbed of his opportunity to be a part of football football immortality. Give me a break. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, 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 wah. And so anyway, he's poor guy's had to completely walk that back. And mm-hmm. he's he has offered an apology, which I appreciate, you know, as a sportsman. But I I I have been loath to want to root for him anyway. <laughs> uh I he's a talent for sure. And he's gonna win his share. But boy, that was that was way out of line. And then the stupid. way he behaved after the game when he gr- greeted the opposing team's quarterback yeah, Josh that Allen, was... and that's just whining about that. I'm like, dude, you got to be bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, evidently, someone must have jerked his chain. His PR <laughs> people must have said, "Hey, pal, you probably need to get out in front of that." Yeah, that whole thing is just. That is very stupid. Yeah. And then I understand, you know, his wife went on some social media and yeah. went on a rant, too. And said, That's even more stupid. Yeah, she probably shouldn't say anything. No. Nobody feels sorry for her. I'm sorry. I mean, you live a very different life than what I live. Yeah. And I don't sit in the, I don't sit in the luxury box at any pro football game with Taylor Swift. And I, I'm actually, I don't know her. But just from what I observe, I, I like her. Yeah. You know, there's some things about her. Talking about like, Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. That I'm like, yeah, not Brittany. <laughs> uh, that I'm like, man, impressive. Yeah. Good for you. Absolutely. Tip of the hat. But maybe Mrs. Mahomes should just, you know, dial it back a bit. I bet she gets a lot of criticism. Sure. She makes it so easy sometimes. But well, she does it to herself on a lot of it. She does. And I mean, she may be a swell person. I don't know. But. Anyway, that whole episode was colossally stupid. Yes, and for all you Kansas City fans and even Mahomes fans, don't be offended. We all make mistakes. <laughs> so, no, do be offended. He's your guy. If you are offended, He's then uh, acting like a child. Email J- uh, J- Jerry M. At yeah, Field Jerry Street. M. Yeah, uh, but no, it is that whole situation is colossally stupid, and it just makes it even worse for guys like you and me. You know, just going to work every day, and then we got little whiny babies that are complaining about. Yeah, I'd like to throw babies. a flag on the play. <laughs> Help me. There's a clear, you know, I'm sorry it turned out that way, and you got robbed of your football glory. But at the end of the day, it is a football game. Yes. It is not life and death. Right. And these these are the same players who want the country to come to their aid in prayer when one of them collapses on the football field. And then you have a few of them like this that just act like you're forgetting it's a game. Right. And and you're well paid. You'll be okay. Mm -hmm. I I don't think any of those guys are wondering where their next meal is going to come from. (laughs) Yep. Well, that's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well, guys, as always, we're so thankful for the time that you spend with us every Tuesday or whenever you listen to this podcast. But as always, and as we say, make Christ known by what you say and how you live. Y'all have a great week. Thank you all for listening. And be sure to subscribe to Upon Further Review so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions, please be sure to reach out to us at info at fieldstreet.com. Thanks for tuning in.